Coming to you from Charm City, this is Cece. And this is Anthony. Welcome to Lit Pop Bang. All right, welcome to episode two. We have a great episode for you. We have a great guest. We're so excited about it. We are. It. We're totally ramped up. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to introduce? Like me too? No, you should introduce. Great, great. Yeah. So I'm really excited to introduce Sarah Browning, who is the author of the brand new Killing Summer from Ooh, Sibling Rivalry Press, yay. as well as Whiskey in the Garden of Eden. Yes. She's the co-founder and executive director of Split This Rock and an associate fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies. She's been guest editor or co-edited a number of great things, including Beltway Poetry Quarterly, the Delaware Poetry Review, and of course, Poetry Magazine. Since 2006, Browning has co-hosted Sunday Kind of Love, a poetry Yay. series. Yeah, we love it, we love it. Uh, a poetry series at Buckboy and Poets in DC. She has previously worked supporting socially engaged women artists with Women Arts and developing creative writing workshops with low-income women and youth with Amherst Writers and Artists. Thank Yay. you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. So we also, the, we, I think this may be a thing we continue to do. That's sort of your official bio. That's what's on paper. That's what's on websites, right? Tell What else do you want us and listeners to know about you? Who is Sarah Browning? What can you tell us about? Ah, thank you for asking that question. <laughs> um, that's a lot of who I am, because mm. I'm a poet. Mm. Um, uh, I also love cheese. <laughs> we love cheese, too. Yeah. I'm the mother of an incredible 19-year-old yes, kid. Yeah. Uh, who somehow turned out a jock. Uh, and he plays baseball. Yeah, has to be, has to be, right? Jock parents, my my tough working class parents, they did not want a poet, right? Right. Oh, uh, you are a poet. poet. Logically, so you get a jock. Yeah, right. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. I was like, why is he? Uh, now yeah. I got the correlation. Yeah. But he's, you know, of course, a thoughtful, smart, engaging, gorgeous, six foot seven. He is political. I, I will. That's I will contest, re listeners. I will contest. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. I can't help it, Mama. Um, proud mama, uh, kid. And, um, I also, um, like to lie on the couch and s stare out the window. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, From your apartment or just? Yeah. Yeah. Any couch. Any, any couch <laughs> will do. No, I, what I'm discovering actually is that because I spend a lot of time with people you do. and loving yeah. people, you do. actually, yeah. I love being with others. I love uh, the company of others. And I love poetry and the heart uh, company that poetry and poets give me. It turns out I actually also need a lot of time to myself. And I didn't yeah. know that for a long time. And sometimes that just means lying on the couch and staring out the window. Yeah. Yeah. And it's taken me until I'm 55 to find that out. You, said, you said that so majestically. Yeah. Thank you. You said 55. Yeah, I yeah. just turned 55. Yeah. I like to actually say how old I am because I think younger women need to know that you don't just kind of dry up and blow away after you yeah. turn 40 or 45 or 50 or even 55. <laughs> but actually, sex gets better in your 50s. Wow, this is this is an interesting beginning to live. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're starting out here. Yeah, but I, I I love that though because I even I like in my I'm in my mid thirties, right? And even I hear from my friends who are turning thirty or thirty five, like I'm turning thirty, I'm turning thirty five, like it's this terrible thing. I'm like, oh, congrats! I 
Yeah. Hope you have good credit and are on your way to being a homeowner. <laughs> and don't worry about credit. Yeah. That's your, that's don't worry about nonsense. Twenty. Older? Yeah, yeah. Hope you don't get binge drink and and have two day hangovers anymore. Right. right? Like, well, that's true. Uh, like you're tw- Yeah, you should be happy about getting older, whether it's into your thirties or forties or fifties. Or- and actually, you don't have to be a homeowner. I'm not yeah. a homeowner. I hated homeownership. <laughs> I bailed. <laughs> Um, yeah, to be clear, Sarah Browning gets personal with you here. <laughs> to be clear, our, our position is property is theft. But <laughs> wow, wow. Um, I don't know if this episode is going to be about real estate or not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I wanted to go back to something that Sarah was talking about yeah. earlier about um, needing downtime and about the fact that you work with a lot of poets and people and you give out a lot of energy. Or that that's how I interpret sort of your life to be. So I'm sort of wondering, in terms of thinking about the ending of split this rock for you, not the ending, but the a pause rather, I guess I would say maybe, um, you're coming to the end of the 10 year anniversary. Um, also you're transitioning out of your position as director. So I'm sort of wondering what you're intending to do with all of that energy that you give out to people. Yeah. Are you are you just gonna sit on the couch? I don't think you're the <laughs> sit on the couch and stare out the window kind of girl. No, I'm not. And yeah. What Celeste is referring to is that it's the 10 year anniversary of Split This Rock. As of this week, 2018 is oh, the 10 year anniversary. It's kind of incredible. We were founded in 2008. And we can talk about that because it was a very different literary landscape when we began Ooh. in 2008. Which you have done a lot to contribute to and change the landscape, I think. So yeah. I think that's part of what Split This Rock has done. So I think it has. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I decided about six months ago that the 10 year anniversary would be a good time to step down as executive director. Um, That feels like a good stretch of time, 10 years to devote to something that has really uh, consumed my creative energy. Um, It was 10 years between books of poems for me yeah. Whiskey in the Garden of Eden was 2007, and Killing Summer, Summer was 2017. 2017. Wow. Yeah, I didn't plan it that way, but that's how it worked out. And um, I'd rather that the next book wasn't 10 years off. Yeah. Um, so it, it was the great work of my life. It has been the great work of my life so far, and I'm very enormously proud of it. That's what this was. You should be. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but I'm ready for the next thing, whatever it is. I'm ready for the next work. Um, and I think Split This Rock is ready for the next leadership. And that's really what I felt, that it, uh, it was ready for another infusion of leadership. Yeah, mm-hmm. of uh, and 10 years is good. You know, there's something called Founder's Syndrome. Ooh. For nonprofit organizations and social change organizations, where oh, organization, yeah, organizations um, can get bogged down, sure, um, with where founders kind of grind on, <laughs> and the organizations get dragged down. And I didn't want that to happen, and I don't think it has happened, but there's always the risk of that. Yeah. Um, so I'm working with the board of directors to put in place a plan for over the course of 2018 um, to look for and have a transition period 
after our next festival, which will be the 10th anniversary festival, which Yay. is coming up April 19th to the 21st, 2018, and everybody's invited in Washington, D.C. It should be an incredible three days. Anthony and I will be there. We will. We're presenting. We're so yes, we will. We're excited. We're right so on. excited. Yay. Right on. I can't wait. I mean, you all know there's nothing like it. Spice Rock Poetry Festival. We've got, you know, 16-year-olds and 83-year-olds and everybody in between and from all parts of the country. I mean, all parts of the country mm -hmm. who come, right? The woods of Maine, the cities, everybody is there. Yeah. And having conversations that we don't have in other places, really. Yeah. Especially, I mean, in the literary world, in other parts of country and the world and difficult ones and or even in other uh, literary conferences shall we say I won't name any of those <laughs> other right. literary conferences yeah. but no. uh, the same sorts of conversations and interactions do not happen at those conferences that I think that happen at Spook is Rock so right. I agree yeah, yeah. not and just craft not just um, reading right but mm -hmm. really community and social justice what is how does my work fit in the community what does organizing look like for artists? Um, what impact my work's having? What, you know, or, or contrary-wise, what is going on in the world that's that's happening to me and my art, right? And also I think it's with this rock, and then I want to get back to the heart of my question, which you really yeah. actually didn't quite no, get to, but, 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 but I want to get back to that. But also what I think it happens is with this rock is also people um, coming together, groups coming together and learning how to work with one another. Yeah. So even uh, active organizing, I think, is a thing that also happens Absolutely. with this rock that's Absolutely. also important. It does not happen at other literary conferences. Yeah, not just sessions on how to organize, but just so much. No, 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 of, I mean, of what, people. Yeah, I mean, it actually right. happened. Right. You getting exactly. experience organized, whether it's ground. reading or yes. um, some of the, the events that are adjacent to it. There's so much organizing going on that artists are doing and not yeah. just talking about our learning. Right. right, and yeah. connections made right there. Yeah. And then yes. yeah, absolutely. I hear later yeah. on people say, oh, I met so and so it's with this rock and now we're doing exactly. this. Exactly. That's exactly um, right. You know, from our different parts of the country we've made these connections and now we've gone off and, you know, uh, put together this project and it's had lasting consequences. And and when you look at the incredible social justice work that is now happening mm -hmm. in literary spaces, mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of them were seeded at Split This Rock or through Connections Made or just inspired by. Um, I heard from Sarah Clark, who is now uh, a Vita co-editor and um, involved in a, a, several literary, and she's um, indigenous and queer, um, that it was the founding statement of Split This Rock that made, helped her first feel seen. Ooh, that's in fantastic. the world. Oh my God, I wept for days. <laughs> just, just from this this one email. And yeah, moving. Yeah, very, yeah, very moving, moving and touching and honest. Yeah, that's part of the thing too. Right. Yeah, right. And that's what I think some young folks who are coming of age now in uh, this very socially engaged moment that we're in now. Um, may not know about even just 10 years ago, sure. uh, which was a very arid time, yeah. um, mm -hmm. that those of us who had been writing political work, even to say the words political poetry yeah. was, uh, you know, yeah. anathema 
in, yeah. in, we didn't even use those words. We said poetry of provocation and witness. witness yeah. Right, yeah, right. We worked yeah, right. on those words <laughs> right. for a long time to yeah. come up with something that didn't say political poetry right. because yeah. that was, you know, yeah, it's, like the, it's, like the, it's like the F word. It was the F not word. The, not yeah. the F word, but the other. Right. The, the F, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was the third rail. You just didn't yeah. say it. Um, and so uh, that's inconceivable now. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, I could, you know, 20 years ago, I was writing poems about uh, poor women getting kicked off welfare, mm. you know, under Bill Clinton. And I couldn't get those poems published mm. for about nor month, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's, it's just one of the many organizations and people and movements that have been pushing it back against this whole outrageous idea that political poetry or identity poetry is, uh, you know, tertiary, it's secondary, it's not... The capital P poetry and so many great poets and advocates and organizers have been working against that over the last decade or so. That that's what the Strath has been working um, to just fill that narrative in with something else, to showing how uh, or being this inclusive. is important. Yeah, being yeah. inclusive is really yeah. part of yeah. the well, thing. We just as said well. these. This poetry is the center. Yeah. Right, needs to be the center. Is yeah. the center of literary life, and we. We just declared that it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right, and kept pushing. Yeah, right. Um, and my theory has always been: you need inside-outside strategies, both. And so you build your own institution, and that's what we did. This book is wrong, and you knock down the doors of the existing institutions, and that's what we've done with Poetry Magazine, um, and. That worked. <laughs> We're now um, in the you know middle of um, editing our fourth co-editing our fourth special issue of Poetry Magazine. Yay! Um, Congratulations on that. Yeah, that's thank amazing. you. Um, you know, obviously AWP and uh, you know multiple other. Um, We're now you know partnering with and part of uh, a national poetry coalition that includes twenty. National and regional poetry organizations, including you know the ones we thought we'd never, ever, ever present the kind of poetry that Split This Rock presents. Yeah. So it's a change. As to my future plans, uh, yeah, I don't really know. At one point, I thought about going to graduate school for poetry because uh, I've never actually studied poetry formally. Um, not since I took a couple of poetry workshops um, in undergrad which we're talking about the really, really conservative days, which were the early and mid-1980s mm -hmm. well, um, uh, at Harvard, where I was undergrad, and uh, was explicitly told not to write political poetry, that it was, quote, only propaganda. Mm -hmm. um, and which put me off writing for 10 years. I didn't mm -hmm. write at all. Or only, you know, maybe I squeezed out one poem a year mm -hmm. um, in my 20s just when I was a community and political organizer. Because I figured if what I was writing wasn't real poetry, you know, why should I bother? Mm. But I couldn't help myself, you know, that's why I just kind of <laughs> kept writing occasionally. Because I was so... You're bit by the bug. I, I was. Everybody, I, everybody's I bit by the bug. I couldn't help myself, yeah. right? And I was so unhappy um, not writing. But um, I haven't really, you know, I so I've never... Other than that, I hadn't taken formal poetry classes. Mm -hmm. um, so, and also just to give myself some structure to focus on my own writing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do well without 
found that structure in my life. Yeah. That's, that's a problem that I have. So I have thought about that, um, but I also have to figure out a way to am I right? Okay. So you don't so you don't have any definitive uh, plans in in the journey right now as we speak. I don't. I so would you take another another job? The the parts of the parts of my job at Split This Rock that I love the very most are the editorial work Mm -hmm. and teaching. And I don't get to do those. Well, I do. I co-edit yeah. our Poem of the Week series. And anyone can sign up for that by going to our website. That's withthisrock.org. And you'll get a poem in your inbox every Friday morning. Yeah. We are both subscribed to that. We are. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And the whole world should be. All of our listeners who are listening to yeah. the Pop Band should be subscribed as well. Yeah. And we've gathered all those poems into an online database the called The Quarry. In 2018, we will hit 500 poems in the corner, which is kind of incredible. And uh, those are searchable by social mission. So if you're looking for a poem on any, well, any, many social issues, if something has gone awry in the world, which goodness knows, multiple things are happening every day in our fucked up world nowadays. Um, but if, in particular, um, something's hurting your heart on a given day or something you want to celebrate. Um, go to the quarry or it says poetry database, click on that and um, search on that issue and a number of poems will come up and you can bring that poem to a vigil or a worship service or a meeting. Please bring poems to your meetings. Kick off your meeting or close your meeting with a poem. You won't believe how it transforms the space. It really does. It makes a huge difference. Um, and it, it brings people together in a way that's very different from a PowerPoint presentation or a lecture or reading a, a, a news article. Um, it, it, it opens people in a way that is very, very different. And we, that is really one of Split This Rock's goals is to bring the transformative language, the imaginative language of poetry into movements for social justice. Uh, and so, um, I always, uh, I, I try to bring it on home when I go off, but I've forgotten where I was with that. Well, you answered, you did speak to my question about what you wanted to do Where after. Oh, editor, editing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I get to edit, I co-edit the poem of the week with and my teaching. And, and do these special issues. But, oh, so maybe it's Flip This Rock Anthology. That's okay. something I would love to oh, do. Wow. I've okay. always wanted to do that. Okay. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, making a living is the challenge. Of course. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's next. So if any of your listeners have really great opportunities for me, that's what I you was... can find my email address on the website. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you have to speak your wishes Thank into you. the air so yeah. that they can be caught by whoever can make those, bring those to reality. Yeah. yeah. I really like the way you talked about the MFA too. It's a really, uh, it's a really clear and sober way to view the MFA, right? A lot of people go to the MFA, young people especially go to the MFA, believing it's going to change their life, mm. believing it's going to be a cure-all pill. And I think, I mean, most of the criticism we hear about MFAs are really that not coming to fruition, mm. right? Which it won't for most people. Right. But if the MFA is, uh, if what you're getting the MFA for is structure, 
is two to three years of someone telling you, you have deadlines now, you right. need to write. That's what I need. Mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that's what you need and want, right. I can do that. The right. MFA is that, absolutely. And it's it's And it can be a networking tool. I, it is. I tell yeah. students that a lot about, you know, you're kind of, you know, school, universities uh, are kind of, uh, you're kind of paying for that network. You're Absolutely. kind of there to get the network to move you forward in your work and your professional endeavors. That's part of what MFA does too. So, and that, that sounds very like, uh, you know, climb the ladder, but uh, that's that's part of what I think an MFA no. is. Yeah, in really interesting ways too. You know, uh, Ian, our producer, we met in grad school, we met in our MFA program. Uh, you make friends there. Make friends. D. Watkins is right. a, a blowing up Baltimore author right yeah. now. Uh, he was our, in our MFA cohort. Yeah. Um, we met, and it, both while we're doing things and before we're doing things, amazing people. Yeah, who, I agree. Who have created this network across the, the region and the U.S., um, who are looking out for each other, who, mm. who trust each other. Mm. Who, and many of these people are people that can look at your work, too, I think, what's really important about MFA, or or even other communities like Split This Rock. There are many people that I've met through um, this organization and through the festival who um, talk a lot and get together and also focus on poems. We were going to switch gears just a little bit. And talk about the book. Yeah, we're so excited about the book. The Killing Summer is just out. from yep. something around for press. Uh, we love it. You had some questions directly about it. You're excited about it. I am. I'm yeah, just, extensively excited about this and book. And we love sibling Lovely Press. We do. We sibling also, yes. Press, uh, they do a lot of amazing. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. They are. They've been incredible to work with. Yeah. yeah. Joseph Ross, lots of great people who are on that label who they think are equally fantastic yeah. as you, Sam Browning. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there are lots of things in the book um, that I, over the weekend while I was reading and rereading the book, um, you have themes about sexuality, about childhood, um, some nature poems. Obviously, you're a political activist, so there are also poems that touch on political activism, but actually making a direct connection to what you were talking about earlier about the justice, uh, about calling um, white people to the carpet in terms of racism. There's a very interesting poem in your book that is one of my favorites that call, that's entitled This Is the Poem. And I might have you read it. It might make better sense for you to read the poem, but I want to talk a little bit about um, that poem, crafting that poem, and also about um, things you keep public and things you keep private in terms of your poetry because there's something specific but I think you should read it first before I ask you the question I think it might be smart for you to read the poem it's one of my favorites yeah thank you you have it marked maybe um I do is it page 50 uh, it is page 50 woo yes. I'm getting to know the poem <laughs> right. inside out yeah this is the poem well and it has Baltimore in it which is nice oh yeah yeah and it mentions Miss Lucille Clifton, who was the poet laureate of Maryland for quite some time, uh, but she was originally from Buffalo. She was a black working class poet. We lost her too soon. She's one of those poets who was uh, one of the greats of the 20th century, and if we hadn't had that turn to conservatism in the middle of the 20th century, she would have been, you know, as well known as Wallace Stevens, right? right? But never appeared in the New Yorker. Yeah, I know that. That's true. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, you know, but in a way, I don't feel well about that. She's she fantastic did. as all oh, things of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. You know, uh, now she has the recognition she sure. deserved. And yeah. she did toward, right at the end of her she life. She did. But, um, yeah. This is the poem. 
I'm on the parkway with Fred, driving home from Baltimore to DC. We've been to a packed and riotous tribute to Ms. Lucille Clifton at the public library. Now we start talking about history and my slavery and forebears and poetry. I don't remember. But that's how it is with Fred. We talk about these things. I tell Fred I've been trying and failing to find my way into the head of my great-grandmother or anyone else who owned other people, trying to imagine. Fred says, well, maybe that's not the poem. Maybe this is the poem. You and I, a black man and a white woman crossing state lines below the Mason-Dixon line. The traffic stalls for late night repairs, and we stop between these two cities. We are friends in the car. And how could the black men, mutilated and beaten and thrown in rivers for just this, talking with a white woman, crossing state lines, riding in a car, not come and congregate with Fred and me as we sit quietly at moment? Construction lights flash in our eyes. I wonder about the white women. Where are they in this story? How could they bear what had been done in their names? Was there ever one who said no? Thank you for, yeah, yeah, it really snaps. Yeah, he snaps all around. Thank you for reading that, Sarah. I think, um, you know, the first thing that occurs, there are a couple of things that occur to me about this poem. One of the things is, is that I often don't read poems about a black male and a white woman in a car as friends discussing something, right? I think this point of intersection and also in terms of talking about people coming together is a really miraculous feat that you brought to the page. So that's one of the reasons why I really love the poem. It's a poem that talks about politics and the world of race, but in a delicate way, in a delicate manner. And I like the fact um, that you're the person in the poem whose name is Fred. I don't know if I know a Fred. I don't know if it's the actual Fred. But um, thinking about that, this person is saying, maybe the poem isn't about you thinking about getting into the head of your great grandmother, but moreover, the poem is about us sharing this experience, this moment together, right? So I think yeah. that's one of the beautiful moments are one of the reasons why I love this poem particularly. But then at the end, the poem takes the last three to four lines of the poem sort of take a turn about, you, you know, I wonder how many women, let me read the exact line, you know, um, what have been done in their names, you know, I wonder about the white women and where are they in the story, right? So the end of the poem kind of takes a turn there. And I think I'm interested in what you think the ownership is of these women and why the end of the poem sort of makes that turn between two friends sort of having this moment and this experience to uh, this this thought about ownership or right. about uh, who should, uh, not causality, but uh, about where that sits with you. So I think I'm, I'm interested about that at yeah. the end of the poem. And really the turn to introspection, too. Yes. And, and uh, self, not self-incrimination, but where the self fits all this. Yeah. Well, um, even when the Friendship is at the center. Race is always present. Sure. I can't okay. deny it. It's never absent. Mm -hmm. I'm involved with a black man right now. And it's, even when it's 
just the two of us. And even when it's about how much we love each other, mm -hmm. race is always present. Yep. And so we can't we can't escape it. Yeah. That's our history. And so that's what the poem pivots back and forth between yes. us and around. Yes. Um, and I'm glad you think it's successful. Oh, yes. I but think it's fantastic. It, it's also you. written in couplets for those who don't have the book who should go get the book. Um, but it's also <laughs> written in couplets. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, a be it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful unwinding poem about, you know, this, like you said, this thing, the elephant, quote unquote, in the room that's always there between people, but also about this uh, reconciling it maybe even between two people, you know? But that's one of the things I love about the poem is often so, so often rhetoric about yes. race and racial justice is either it's broken or we've overcome, right? Exactly. And this doesn't do that. This right. says we have come so far and things are still broken, right? Mm -hmm. Race is still at the center of everything. Right. Um, and racism is still at the center of everything. Right. And so even though you're able to sit these two people are able to sit in a car crossing state lines below the Mason-Dixon line. It's not a, we have been to the mountaintop, right? It's not. It's, <laughs> right. And that's what poetry does. Poetry occupies that space that rhetoric can't. That's um, right. It moves in that we space. Hope, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Right, like, right. The Logic, best poetry, so, successful poetry, hopefully right. moves in that space. Logic and sermons never convince, is yeah. what uh, yeah. William Charles Wilkes yeah. says. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. Right. And, and uh, even, and, and, as a white person, I'm always complicit. Mm -hmm. I'm always on the journey. I'm never arrived. I've never arrived. Uh, and that's not my fault. I'm born into it. You know? Um, and so I don't, and, I, and when I learned that, it was very freeing. Because I felt very stuck for a long time around race. That it was my fault. And that I, you know, somehow, yeah. It's not. Yeah. I see, you know, you can't see listeners, I'm, but. I'm shaking my yeah, head. Yeah, 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 yeah. shaking her head. That, I, that, that somehow it was, yeah, that I had to, that somehow it was my fault. But of course it's not my fault. Yeah. That my ancestors owned that. Oh, and I've, been, I've been saying imprisoned because that's what it was slavery. Even the word slavery is sort of leached of its power because mm. we, you know, we say it over and over. So I've been saying the word imprisoned or mm. crime against humanity because that, those are stronger words. Mm. Um, imprisoned other people and tortured and raped, you know. Uh, it's not my fault, <laughs> but I was, you know, but. That doesn't free me from the responsibility to work against, sure. you know, the, the legacy of it. So um, once I once I said those words and recognized it and felt it really in my bones, it was freeing from that uh, that kind of paralysis mm. that guilt um, had engendered in me. And that has been really a gift. You're not just being pressed under white guilt. Exactly. You've accepted that racism exists right. and you're working to do what you can right. to push against it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And to and therefore I can say these things. Yeah. 
And now, and when I read these poems and say in a, in a room, no matter who's in it, um, I'm descended from slave owners, especially in a room that's majority white people. When I say those words, there's a gasp sometimes. I think many of them don't know if they are descended from slave right. owners or not. I think that may be part of the gasp. They it's, don't know. Exactly. And it's very rare for people actually saying it. Right. It is. That white people say it. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll let it hang for a moment and then I might relieve the tension by making a joke about the French after the Second World War. It's like, well, you know, it's like the French. Not everybody was in the resistance. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I wonder does that joke actually relieve some people? You think it does that that I would say I would sit there and be like the the former stuff is still hanging in the air. It I is, mean, of it course should, it, right. it should. Of course right. it is. Yeah. yeah. But you know, then they get it. Right. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess a lot of people were collaborators, you know? A lot of people had to own slaves. Yeah. But it's freeing for you to say that. And, and, yeah. and this poem, I think, it, It's is... freeing to say it's not my fault. Sure. And to say it's not, you know, our fault as white people that our ancestors imprisoned other people. But it is our responsibility to do something about it. Yeah. You know, a contemporary sort of talking point for a lot of racial justice organizations is white guilt is not useful. Right? right, white right. guilt is not helping anybody. Right, right? but right. if we accept that racism exists, that many people, white people in particular, have benefited from a history of racism, we just accept that, acknowledge it, and we get to dismantle it. We get to work. Right, exactly. So, uh, but but uh, but thank you for uh, talking about the poem as. Um, as bringing into the center of the friendship. When I moved, I lived for a long time in New England, which is, you know, pretty white. And so the folks who, the, the black folks who live in New England, they feel under siege. Who can blame them, right? Yeah. You know? And so I didn't have relationships with oh, many. Okay. I had a few, but not many okay. with many people of color. And so when I moved to DC, I was like, I was grateful to cool. be welcomed here in this area. Um, I didn't know what it would be like to try to do, I mean, I came at a time when uh, George Bush was president and it was right at the, he was trying to, you know, get us all to get excited about the idea of invading the country that had nothing to do with the attacks of September 11th. Um, yeah, I actually, I just, uh, just this last week drift through uh, post against the war, and I saw that you were involved with that, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I uh, was organizing the DC area yeah. chapter. Yeah, it was time. really pleasant to come across your name when I was reading this book. Yeah. You know, uh, mean the. Uh, Sam Hamill's oh, anthology? Yes, so I organized a local chapter in DC. Yeah, that's great. I had just moved to DC and I didn't know any poets, and yeah. so I. I discovered that That's Sarah Browning folks weren't <laughs> coming in, busting, busting through those doors. Boy, I tell you. Well, I folks weren't organized. They were writing the poems, yeah, um, and they were going out to the demonstrations, but they weren't doing it together as poets. And I figured they had to be doing the work. So I, with a week to go before that big event, I just kind of put out the word, and we came together and 
that the rest is history. That yeah. was the origins of Split This Rock. Really. That's amazing. It's so nice that uh, that your work and your identity has been uh, racial justice and broader social justice movement and poetry and this nonprofit world that you exist in, and those all intermingle. It's a, a web that connects. They're not. They're not siloed at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it all converged. It was kind of yeah. like all came together in in, in the forming of Spokes Rock. Right? So in yeah, the best way. In the best way, which is why I say it's kind of been the great work of my life. It kind of all came together. So I've yeah. been lucky that way. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. So yeah. much so that I hate to move on. I know, day, right? But no, no, I look at the clock. We definitely need to. This has been oh, amazing. Thank you, thank you so thank much. You, Sarah, we, we are going. Oh, we do. We do. Thank you so much. <laughs> we are going to break real quick. Or we're going to move into the pop section of our podcast. And Sarah Browning will be back with us when we come back for the bang section of our podcast. Exactly. So thank right. you, Sarah, for sharing yourself. Thank you all so much. This has been fabulous. Welcome back to the pop portion of our podcast. And so we have lots of fun and interesting things to talk to you all about, even though I sound kind of like Kermit the Frog. I'm recovering from a cold. I apologize to our listeners it's, for that. I hear it a little bit in your voice. It's not bad, but I hear it there. She yeah. Texted me before we recorded and said, bring throat coat. Tea. Yeah, I needed it. I needed it. <laughs> oh, this cold weather is doing it to everybody. But anyway. It is very cold. Regardless of when you're listening to this, right. it's probably still cold. It, right. In Miami, it's probably two degrees <laughs> right now. The world is freezing. Winter has come. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, last episode, we talked about we promised we wouldn't get into politics. We did. Episode. That's kind of a lie, right? It's Even a lie. It is. It's so hard not to talk about politics right now. They're intertwined. If, if we can't talk about politics this week, we can't talk about the Mueller investigation. Well, we we can't talk about disbanding the nonsense election integrity commission. Right. We right. can't talk about um, Attorney General Sessions repealing the coal memo that has allowed a legal cannabis industry to thrive. Okay. That's all. That's a big topic. It is. We also can't talk about the Bannon Trump fallout. It's we can't. Yeah. We can't. I mean, which is always interesting. Yeah. And who else knows what else has happened between when we recorded this and when you'll be listening? A to million it. things, right? But we did want to talk about one thing, yes. and that is the new tell-all book, Fire and Fury, from inside. Of uh, Trump's White House. By Michael Wolf. By Michael Wolf, yes. Right. We talked last episode. You said, when a tell-all comes out, you're going to read it. I know, I know. I haven't got it, gotten it yet, but I am intending to read it because I think um, all of the drama behind it, especially, uh, I, I hate to say, I always say DJT or 45, or yeah. I come up with some kind of innovative, Not his name. innovative yeah. way to refer to him without calling him president because I just don't feel it in yeah. my spirit. I yeah. don't feel it. But anyway, um, all of the, the way in which he sent the legal team to kind of uh, squash the book before it came out, yeah. I thought that was pretty telling in terms of what could be in the book. Yeah, yeah, and the pure guts of the publisher too. Say so they get a they, letter. They're saying we're going to drop this book. They get a letter from the White House that says cease and desist. Right. Their response the next day, they're like to release the oh, book. We've moved up the date. It's coming out now. Exactly. Look under your seats. Exactly. You get a book, and you get a book. Oprah, <laughs> yay! No, anyway, I'm raising my hands. So I yeah. just can't see me. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So you're going to read it though. I'm totally yeah. going to read it. Yeah. I think it'll be, it should be. People, um, he has a lot of, uh, what I would say, cooperating. People who are saying that uh, all the words in the book are true, that the recorded sessions that he sat in and he recorded people um, having conversations at dinners and inside the White House, that all of this stuff is true. So that's, that's what I want to read. I want to read the real deal. 
Yeah, Trump and his press secretary have both said, "Oh, it's false. It's false. Made of up. Course. Made up." And well, then else... why would they? Why would they try to sequester it? Why would they try to squash it? Why? Ooh, what's ooh, the? I mean, ooh. you know, just, just if you don't have anything to hide. If you just, you know, you just come out naked. If you, yeah. if you're confident with your body, you just come out naked, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, so yeah, I don't understand why they would say, "Oh, it's not true," but then try to, you know, yeah. quiet, quiet it. One other thing I'm really excited about this story. I was just reading that a story of bookstore. In Queens, New York oh, City, the story. right? Yeah, um, the a story bookstore uh, in Queens is donating all profits of the book to immigrants' rights and voting oh, rights advocacy so groups. Nice. Yeah, it's very we cool. like that. Yeah, yeah shout out to a story, a story of books. Yeah, and every 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 person who booksellers know that this book is going to make a ton of money. Of course they for do. For bookstores, for the publisher, sure, for the sure. writer. It's going to make a ton of money. But it's nice that they're deciding to do something, uh, you know, uh, warm-spirited with, yeah. with, with the money. i also say this. Open Culture, which is uh, a website, an organization that advocates for free and open access to knowledge. Right. Um, they've actually responded to the people who have said, I want to know what's in the book but I don't want to buy the book. Mm. They suggested a little hack, a completely legal hack for people who which don't is, want to. What is right. that? So Audible, which okay, yeah, is yeah, yeah. a service that delivers podcasts and they also deliver sure. audio books. Sure. They give you two free downloads when you sign up. Okay. Right? So for people who have not yet subscribed to that, if they're interested in paying for Audible, they can sign up, okay. pay Audible the money that Audible gets for, for signing up, right? Okay. And then get their free audio download of that book. So that they can still have access to the book and feel good about not contributing to Michael Wolf or I mean, what's yeah. the point? I don't know that. I'm just gonna buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, yeah. I, I guess I could see people feeling a little some trepidation behind actually buying the book. Yeah. I I don't personally feel that because I feel like in a book that will expose this administration for some of the dastardly things that they do, yeah. I'm I'm interested in supporting that. So that's that's what I can say from my point of view. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm going to read it. I, I mean, I have a lot to read right now. Yeah, I know, right? I'll get you're, the highlights on Twitter. You're in the middle, you're in the middle of a dissertation. Yeah, you, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll catch the highlights. Exactly. I'll catch it on the 11 o'clock news. Exactly, right. There's, you can always, or I'll on catch Twitter, it on SportsCenter. Or yeah. on Twitter. You can catch everything on Twitter that you don't see, that you don't read. So, All yeah. right. Yeah, speaking of politics, though, we got word in January that a lit pop bang favorite, Game of Thrones, oh, there will not return to TV until 2019. Oh, I didn't know means, this. Hiatus. Yeah, a hiatus. I mean, all of 2018 will be a whole year without New Thrones. Hashtag Dem Thrones. Hashtag Thrones, y'all. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> oh, Anthony going for the hashtag. So I know That's... Thrones is not, it's like a favorite show of you, but you watch Game of Thrones, I do. right? What do you like about Game of Thrones? Oh, what do I like about it? Um, I think it's the spirit of competition in uh, a different arena is part mm. of one of the things that I, I think it's a it's a healthy way in certain, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm saying healthy. I don't know if you can apply that word to Game of Thrones, yeah. but it's a way Westeros of- Westeros is not a healthy place. Right, it's not, but it's a way of looking at competition and, and um, challenging one another in a, in a, in a, I guess safe, maybe safe is the better way for America. Safe for you, well, the viewer. Right, save for viewers. Yeah. Not safe for Jamie Lannister, who lost his dad. Right, exactly. Right, I don't think you're right. But I'm just saying, I think people have a lot. I think America now, in this current administration and even before, can be a challenging place. And I think that people can feel frustrated and also sometimes watch things that make them feel less frustrated about the world oh, around them. Yeah. And so I think Game of Thrones can be productive and healthy in that way. Yeah, I think you're getting on something there, right? right. It's interesting to see. Especially for you millennials. 
Yeah, freshman lingo. It's nice to see ugly Us. politics that don't count, right? Versus right. the exactly. daily barrage of ugly politics right. that do account right. affect people uh, in real life in really ugly ways. And I also yeah. support badass women like Cersei. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You're I mean, a Cersei fan. I mean, well, I, I'm a Brienne of Tarth fan. I love oh, Brienne right. of Tarth. Right, um, right. But I also think you know, young girls and women who are who may be watching TV. I mean, I think uh, some of the episodes are a little. I wouldn't have children under a certain age watching yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones, but I also think there's a way in which um, it salutes. Um, it can be damaging. There have been lots of uh, episodes that I've seen that I've felt uh, it's damaging to women too, right? Yeah. You know, in terms of um, some of the sexual scenes. But in a way, I do think it does on one side of things celebrate a powerful, independent, um, badass sort of woman. Yeah, and I, and several I, independent yes, badass Yes, exactly. Women. And yeah. so I, I support that about Game of Thrones. So, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. lots of different ways to look at it. Yeah, I I like I like I like the political drama of it. I right. like that it's character driven. Yes, it is. Um, it's brilliantly. I like cast. the costumes. Can costumes I say are that? gorgeous. Costumes yeah. are amazing. Costumes are gorgeous. Yeah, right. casting is gorgeous. Right. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Great of Tarth, and yes. also Phasma in the Star yeah. Wars, amazing. Right. Um, yeah, it's a great show. But uh, yeah, a little break. So what's gonna what, what what's yeah. gonna happen to diehard fans like you during 2018? When the break is happening, what I, will you do? Will I'll you probably cry? forget about it, and then like whenever early early twenty nineteen, I'll be all fanboy. You know, guys. You know it. what you guys should do? You should create a support therapy group, an online <laughs> Game of Thrones support therapy group for twenty eighteen. That's what you should do. It's called Twitter. Oh. No, no, I mean a real one. Like, a, like you get together, you sit in a circle, and you say, "Hi, I'm Anthony, and I'm a Game of Thrones addict." There, I mean, that's also a book club, right? There's that could, books, right? That could be uh, that. Yeah. Twitter, but a little like support it, group, like yeah. a little therapy thing. I, like I think that. that'd be That's cute. Sweet. That, sweet. Yeah, it'd be cute. Uh, other Game of Thrones news. Um, oh. I was seeing um, uh, rumors from cast and directors have suggested that um, all the episodes in season in the last season, uh, the sixth episode season, they'll all be much longer, like oh. hour and a half episodes. Mm. Yeah, that'd be interesting um, too. Also, there are currently five different pilots. In various stages of development uh, that are being created, like spinoffs. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're a post Game of Thrones prequel series Jeez set in the please. same world. So any number of those five, probably only one of them, uh, may be picked up right after the 2019 season oh. ends. The series. This will be interesting to see who, you know, survives. Yeah. Speaking of competition, you mentioned yes. healthy competition. Yeah, healthy competition. Anyone else That's is just great... around the corner. Right. The Winter Olympics. Woo! Are you an Olympics person? Do you watch the Olympics? I, half and half. When yeah. it's on, when I can catch it, I do. Um, I like, what's that one? Curl, curling? Hurling? Curling? Yeah, with Cur the curling. ice. Of... I love that. Yeah, yeah I love, that's my favorite. That's my thing. That's my jam. Yeah. Also, the other one where you, I like where you get in. I, I, the fact that I don't know the names of any of these things, where you get in a sled and you, the whole body is contoured in this little ice. The luge or the skeleton? I think it's the luge. Yeah. It's, luge is with your feet forward. Yeah, and yeah. The skeleton is the one where your face forward. No, no, no. Feet forward and you're, yeah. la and you're, la you're yeah, laid yeah. down, the compact. Yeah, yeah, like the luge. Lu yeah. Luge and curling, those are my two favorites. I mean, you know, I'll take a little ice skating here and there, but eh, you know what I mean? But yeah, those, those two. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't care about luging or skeleton at all. Oh. I think there's sports, like many sports, uh, there's sports that aren't exciting unless something goes wrong, right? Mm. And I don't want to be sitting there hoping for an Olympian to get hurt. Tragic. Right? Yeah, tragic. Yeah, I mean, that's how you watch those, right? Even subconsciously. Painful. You're, you're hoping this for is, tragedy, right? This is, well, that's why I watch reality TV, because yeah. I like to see people get slapped and, and, and yelled at occasionally. <laughs> is that horrible for me to say it that? Is. It but is. But I think that's why many people watch. 
Right, no, exactly. Right, right. because I'm looking for tragedy. They want to see people be better. <clears throat> I want to see someone's life who's worse than mine. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Right, even if they're rich. But let's get. You want to see a rich person who's worse than you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Whose, whose life can never be worse than mine. But anyway, yeah. but uh, let's get back to this thing about you wanting to see tragedy on the. You want like no, speech. I don't. That's what I'm saying. That's why oh, I don't watch it. I want. I mean, I I love figure skating. Oh, right. Okay. So you As you a like queer man, I know it's predictable, right? But I love watching figure right. skating. Right. No one gets hurt there, really. Yeah. I mean, people fall. Right. I mean, right. you're not watching for the fall. Right. Exactly. You're watching Luge, you're watching for the fall, right? Mm. You're watching figure skating, you want to see a, a beauty. Performance. You want to see yeah. beauty. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. And also. Blades of Glory. This year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this year actually is the first year they're allowing music with lyrics. Oh, um, on the ice skating ring? Yeah, and ice skating. Too. Oh, this could get dangerous. So I saw someone tweeting about how during the qualifying finals, someone, and I'm not making this up, someone apparently came out and skated to Lil John. Oh. Um, so I'm interested from the windows see. to the wall. I hope so. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. This, this year. could be horrible. I love skiing and this snowboarding. Could be tragedy. Yeah, I snowboard, so I yeah. love watching skiing and cool. snowboarding. Yeah, uh, I mentioned to you before we start recording. That, yeah, uh, uh, Pyeongchang, you... where the Olympics are being held. Say that year. word one more time. Pyeongchang. I just love. I just love that you know how to pronounce yeah. that. I, I, it's weird that E O in Pyeong. Yeah. right? it's difficult. Some double vowels in yeah. Hangul that we don't have. But in you lived. In, you lived in. Korea. I did. Yeah, I spent. I spent collectively two and a half years cool. in the Republic of Korea. It's a beautiful country. You said it's uh, really frigidly cold. It's there. so in Pyeongchang. cold. Yeah, Singing it's there it is. so cold in Pyeongchang. It's cold in Korea generally. It's right. At a place where the winters get brutal. Right. It's like Maryland. The summers are sticky and humid and, and gross. Yeah, um, and the winters are brutally cold there. Okay. Um, but yeah, Pyeongchang especially is probably the coldest place I've ever snowboarded. It's it was rough. It was rough. But it's beautiful. Uh, it's like a two-mile-long run. Mm. First time I've done that. Mm. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing a place I've been on the Olympics. It's kind of cool to me. And are we hopeful that North Korea will send some Olympians? Are, are, uh, what, what is our feeling on that? I think North Korea gets to send Olympians. They've sent, they send Olympians to every Olympics. Um, right, but will they? Yeah. Especially since it's in South yeah. Korea. Well, well um, the U.S. and Korea, during February of every year, they hold a little war games called Foul eagle, full right. eagle, right? Heard about this. Um, and they promised to not do those war games. It's right. just a digital war game, right. really. They're doing right. planning stuff in case of an invasion, but they promised. In case of an invasion? Yeah, they promised they won't do that. Right. They realize it's sort of uh, provocative, right? right? They're not going to do that right. in the spirit of in the Olympics. In the spirit of the Olympics, yeah. right? So, Which is a good thing. I mean, it's still scary, right? It is. All the heat that's going on there is. between and the US and North Korea. DJT talking about whose button is bigger. Right. We can't it's, go there. It's outrageous. We should. It's so, disgusting. Yeah, it is. Um, so they promised that. Right. Uh, I imagine that means, yeah, we'll see uh, Democratic People's Republic of North Korea uh, sending Olympians. Yeah. We won't be sending Olympians, though. Who? Russia. Did you hear right, about I did. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, the yeah. big doping scandal in Russia, the whole nation, the nation as a whole has been banned from the Winter from the, Olympics. Yeah. Some individual Olympians will be like, uh, oh, compete. they can compete under the uh, individual Olympian banner. Oh, uh, so but they people, can't compete for the country. Yeah, oh, so I people, who don't, the people who don't have was. nations, okay. or their nations been disqualified, nation, but they oh, haven't, yeah, 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 yeah. or okay. people whose nations are in turmoil, right? Um, they can compete under the independent Olympian banner, right? Um, and so there may be some Russian team there, but the Russia as a whole won't be able to compete. For the them. politics behind the Olympics is is often this is interesting stuff to me. Yeah, the we like to talk it. about how like it. There's no politics. There's an apolitical entity. Right. But that's not And this is really... supposed to be the pop part of the podcast, too. Yeah. But, but, it, it, but yet again, we're talking about politics because they're yeah. wrapped in everything. Yeah. Before we go, we will say I love 
opening ceremonies. This is my oh, favorite part of the Oh, this Olympics. is your jam? I love it. I love the big performance uh, stuff. I love the parades with the Olympians mm, coming out in there. They make costumes every year. It's very gay. It's very pageantry, right? It is. Like, it is. They come out it looking is. their best. They come out in uh, specifically designed costumes just for them. Yeah. Just for that, really, most of that one event, maybe. It's long. It's yeah. a long opening ceremony, too. Yeah. It's all, it always takes too long for me. There's oh. like, you know, they got to march with the flags. Yeah. All the countries come out. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, we do watch parties. We oh, really? Like, yeah. We yeah. get friends together. Yeah. Have drinks. Drinking parties. Watch, yeah. Big, right. Watch the Olympic opening ceremonies. It'll be yeah. hard this year because it's like, I think like 6 a.m. Eastern time, something like that. Oh, I didn't know that. So, oh, that's crazy. Uh, you have to wake up really Isn't it early. the same weekend as Super Bowl or am I wrong? I, I think know. that's right. It's so February, to, kickoff is February 9th. And I know Super Bowl is what? First or second Sunday, so right. Um, there'll be some overlap between Olympic spirit and Super Bowl, the big game festivities, as they're we're supposed to say. I think I, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Super Bowl. I'm trying to look yeah. it up now. It'll be just after the Royal Rumble. Right, uh, <laughs> Ex- right. The, and right. <laughs> and we'll and we'll be watching for Timberlake and and the big performance there that. That, oh yeah, that's he, also pop yeah, culture. Absolutely. Yeah, he's doing it. I don't know. I'm, he's doing the halftime show. He's doing the half. Just him? I no Janet. I don't. Janet just recovered from a baby. Is she yeah. showing up? I don't think so. I mean, it would be it'd be the big surprise if she did. It'd be cool it would. It would be. And amazing. I'm sure it's gonna be other people, right? It's always featuring this person and right. And there's featuring some other, the Who, and then I don't know. Like, right, and then they put Will on Smith comes out, Pink comes out, right? Yeah. Exactly. She drops from the sky, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah but um, uh, but I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it should be him. I think alone. That's yeah. what that's what I've heard so far. All right, cool. I think that's it for our pop section of this month. That's it. Uh, We'll be right back with the bang portion of our podcast. We'll be right back after the music. All right, that was great. Now we're going to move into the bang portion. And for this portion, we're going to invite Sarah Browning back into the room. We're going to talk about something that I thought was really interesting. Um, I was on Twitter the other day. and this is where you found this out. I did, yeah, Twitter, yeah. So... Uh, a friend of mine who's also a local author and a local professor, Dee Watkins, mm-hmm. um, who, by the way, we're hoping to have on the show in yes, 2018. Yes, we'd love to, we'd, we'd uh, love to contact yeah. Dee. Hit us up, Dee, if you're out there listening. We'd love to have um, you. Anyway, he's teaching a class uh, at University of Baltimore, yep. um, where me and him got our MFAs, and now he teaches, he's an assistant professor there. Yes. Um, he's teaching a class on Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. Very which interesting. infinitely rad, both for students and for him as an educator. Um, so I was going to ask you both, uh, okay, so what is your dream class to teach? Or if you'd like to take, right? We, it's still possible. We're, we're well into our education. But if you wanted to take a class again, what's either your dream class to teach and or take? So I'm going to let Sarah go first. Great. And, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I was, uh, spent a day with, uh, group of students that we had over the summer at a James Baldwin Institute for Poetry and Social Justice. And they were high schoolers and they had this six-week summer institute with uh, slightly older young people teaching them. And they had, the the icebreaker was, who did you want to have dinner, dinner with? When it came to me, I said I wanted to have dinner with a slightly older generation of activists women. Hmm. And so I, 
guess that class would be the one I would want to teach. Yeah. And that was Jim Jordan, Grace Paley, Audrey Lord, and Audrey Mitch. Wow. Four. 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 What a class that would be good. And this is a great segue for me because actually the class I would like to take, not teach, because as a professor, you're always sort of drafting your quote-unquote dream class and trying to figure out how to fit it into the academic structure yeah. in one way or another. So I think as a professor, we I feel like I have gotten to teach a lot of the poets who I revere and also find ways to work them into um, an academic structure, right? But uh, for myself, in terms of class that I would like to take, actually it's a great, like I said, it's a great parallel between Sarah and I, I would love to take an all Audre Lorde, June Jordan, poetry activists, um, also examining their prose. Both of them have prose, memoir, um, these sorts of things. I have never taken a class um, with the two of those in dialogue together. So I would love to see that. Like I said, I'd love to study Zami, but also some of us did not die and all of these great things together in one course. That's what I would like to do. So yeah, it's a similar sort of, uh, I don't know, the activist part I'm interested in, but like I said, I'm, as a poet, I, I have not study the two of those side by side, so I would like to see their work together in a class. That's a class I would love to take. That would be amazing. And just generally, too, it'd be really cool just to think of, like, a class of poetry that is um, like a historical movement of uh, a political poem. Right. right. From here to X to Y, right? So, right. like, uh, you know, Wilfred right. Owen right. to, to Dennis Smith, right? Right. Um, and looking at how political poems have changed and reactions to political poems have changed. That's yeah, really that would be That's really not mine, but oh, do you really say something? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Who too often gets to the ballad. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I love The Ballad of Purple and Orange. It's yeah. a beautiful poem. It's gorgeous. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll check it out. We'll link it in the show notes for sure. Ooh. For sure. Yeah. New poem. There it is. Right. Discovery new poems is about. Okay. It is. Great. But what's mine, your class? mine will be so the dream class I'd love to teach is the poems of songwriters. So I'd like to read uh, y'all. This is a Dylan thing. This is going down the Dylan road. It I'm is. I'm going to Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, looking at the work of songwriters, what they have done as songs, and then also looking at the work they've published as poems. Well, the work they're calling songs and the work they're calling poetry. And so you look at uh, you can look at collections. Uh, for instance, Jewel has published a book of poems. Dylan, of course. People. Tupac has. Um, you know, I love Tupac. True. I love Tupac's songs. He has a terrible book of poetry. He I does. really dislike it. To be fair, he wrote it when he was like 16, 17. Right. So it's not bad. To his poetic voice. It's yet. not, yeah, it's not right. bad. It's just 17 year old poems. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Leonard Cohen, Jill Scott, Patti Smith, Joni Mitchell, Jill yeah. Right. Some of these people who, who we know as songwriters, but who also published on paper things they're calling poems and looking at them comparatively because I have this this theory. You're a big advocate for Bob Dylan. I am. I'm a big Dylan fan and I'm I, I spoke positively of Dylan. There are many reasons why maybe Dylan didn't deserve the Nobel and yes if it would be nice to go to a woman or a person of color. But to say Dylan didn't deserve it because he's a songwriter, not a poet, I just disagree with that. Mm. Um, Which I have some. Uh, we won't get into that yeah, today. That's another conversation. I just, um, I just think it such a bad precedent. I will say this. That's, that's the issue for me. I think this is true of Dylan. I think it's true of Jewel. I think it's true of Tupac. Um, and that is, I think that for me, the work that they publish and called songs are so much better than the work 
their publishes poems. poems yeah. And I wonder if that's this amateur conception of what poetry is. They're trying to write a poem, and right. what's coming out isn't very good. But when they're just writing and not trying to make it a poem, right? They make beautiful. They make Harvard's gonna fall, but which is if, one of my favorite songs. Yeah, right? I like that. I like that song too. Uh, yeah. What if I were to write a, a song and then tomorrow get nominated and win a Grammy? Everyone, everyone in the poetry world would be like, "What?" They would be like, "You know, I mean, like the transition for me is often about what the body of work is by the the songwriter or the you know about whether or not they have a, a breath of work from which we can make this yeah. decision." And Dylan's got like what one. Print yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I got, I got problems there. But that's another, that's another, another issue. I was, on the other side, I will say that the audiobook of I Know Why the Page Sings has won a Grammy. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Maya so, Angelou, uh, Grammy? Yeah. yeah. Wow. A, didn't know that. Uh, she's a Grammy winner. Yeah. You're, you're full of little Useless tidbits. Stuff, yeah. That's what you get. Tidbits. When you get a PhD in poetry, when you're working for a PhD in poetry, it's then you all learn, you learn it all. useless knowledge. You learn it all. <laughs> right. All right. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, Sarah. It's been great absolutely great lovely. And thank Everyone, you. Oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, no. Everybody go get Killing Summer. Yeah. Sarah Browning's brand new book out 2017 by Sibling Rivalry Press. And check out Split This Rock with the organization and the upcoming festival that's coming up in April the 10th anniversary. We'll be there. We will be there presenting. Ooh. Sarah will be there, of course. Um, it's going to be great. So thank you so much. Uh, we want to, as, as podcast hosts do, encourage you to subscribe. Yes. Uh, check out the show notes for links to the things we've mentioned. Yes. And please tune in next month. <laughs>